0: started recording
1: okay good hello and welcome to i still want to say shoot the piano player then no, though this show is called dirt not dirty habits dark habits <laughs> and i'll motivate our podcast i'll get i got it right the first episode and i can't get it right and it's like the sixth recording you need and to have
0: ha- a card in front of you that says the new name
1: yeah that's also more fun just to be fresh and make mistakes too Anyway, yeah, dark habits and a Motivar podcast. And this is uh for me a, a big discovery episode cuz I never I've known who uh Kenneth Anger was for a while, but I never actually took the time to watch anything. But before we get to that and uh we have a guest here too. Uh, uh who, who are you? I'm
2: I'm I'm Patrick Rapole. <laughs> <laughs> About time you introduced yourself. I'm, I've am i been selfish this whole time. I I've, I wanted to keep people in suspense. I'm Patrick <laughs> Rapol, the host of Tracks of the Damned and Uptown Song Club, and of the co-host of 96 Greer, so I just got all kinds of podcasts coming out.
1: Uh, always working. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, Joel, you're here too, right?
0: Not yet, but I'm not a guest. Okay. Unless I've been replaced.
2: Is this the replacement episode? Should oh, I no. introduce Joel?
1: Uh, if you wants to.
0: Idea.
2: Um and joining us today is the co-host of Dark Habits and Almodovar podcast, Joel. Joel, how are you doing? You know,
0: I I've had some good days recently. I can't can't really complain, but I really want to talk about is how I can't get a bag of Skittles that doesn't make me feel bad about the environment. No, I don't know. What do, yeah. I Oh, okay. I appreciate that intro. It's what I really needed <laughs> to get on. <charged. laughs>
1: well, uh, before we talk about Kenneth Anger, we need to address something that is happening in this country right now. This episode is like the sixth, fifth, or sixth re- being recorded, but I'll put it up earlier, up or earlier on, kind of because uh, I need to address this thing. But uh, I'll be simple and direct. Trans rights are human rights it's deplorable and fucked up what's happening in parts of the uh, United States right now and um yeah if if you can support uh uh LGBTQ plus people in any way and help out the this help them and and try to stop move stop uh the promotion uh the passing and get involved in any way uh uh you you should, it's just, It's important, it's Yeah, it's just deeply fucked up, and it's, uh, been, it's been way on me, because I always, just, lately, I last few cornets have not brought it up, and, uh, yeah, so.
0: Uh not a political show, that's the thing. You never <laughs> hear us saying about how screwed up this uh, United States has been towards the people that it's supposed to be protecting, whether or not they agree with uh, people's choices. And this is not like one of those frivolous things. Like, as you said, trans people are people. And it doesn't matter if you know one, it doesn't matter if what your religion says, I'm sorry, it really doesn't. Uh, You treat a person like a person, and every person should be treated equally, as best as they can, to the best of your abilities.
1: Yeah. Uh, Patrick, any, any input?
0: No, you don't have to force Patrick to say
2: anything. No, 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 I mean, I mean, I think, I think it's very clear that there is, uh, an ascendant fascism in this country that, uh, is very threatened, um, by queerness in general, um, and it's not going to end with trans rights, and it's not going to end with gay rights, and it's not going to end with women's reproduction um that it is it is all part of the uh, same fascist philosophy and if you live in a state where this is happening it's it's horrible and, and i'm sorry and uh there's there's work to be done there and if you live in a state where this isn't happening it's not time to put your feet up it's time to really push your lawmakers to say all right we need to codify protections we need to codify uh, making our state a, a sanctuary for people displaced by this kind of uh, rhetoric and stuff like that like it, it has to be a very hard active response because um, this is a very traditional fascist playbook uh, that they're they're playing by and it's not, and there is not going to be a part where, uh, their desire to control people is satisfied. So that's that's. I wasn't gonna say anything, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that's 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 what I'm fe- that's what I'm feeling when I when I read the news.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'm in Delaware, and and luckily we have Delaware's pretty, uh, pretty good with uh this. Uh, it's pretty liberal state overall. It, again, overall, it, it could be better, but we have I think like one of the first openly trans state. Uh, senators in the nation sarah mcbride and uh she rules uh the stuff she's she's uh done for the state so far is things like uh, expanding abortion rights and things of that nature so at least where i am things aren't uh, nearly as dire but still i, I like i, I know i for a fact i need to get more involved than uh actually you know put, put them put my money where my mouth is but uh you yeah, that out of the way uh uh patrick so when i sent you the the list uh, of stuff and you're like you, you mentioned like about some queer cinema and i think I, and you mentioned like you want to do kenth anger because mm-hmm. that wasn't on the list i wasn't even thinking of that but uh so what way you want to uh talk about kenth anger exactly
2: um, Kenneth Anger is one of the most important filmmakers I've ever discovered in my life. Uh, I, when I. When i was growing up a book that was important for me was one of the earlier editions of a thousand and one movies you must see before you die like the kind of book that can have both uh wavelength by michael snow and clueless was like that was my approach to cinema that's what i wanted something that comprehensive and when i spent my very brief time in college there were some films that i didn't go to classes what i did was i went to the library and i checked movies out uh, that were in that book but weren't at Blockbuster. So, like, that was how I first saw B- Buster Keaton's movies. That was how I first saw Pink Flamingos. You know, uh, that was how I first saw Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. And that was how I first saw the Scorpio Rising and Fireworks and all the other uh, films in the Magic Lantern Cycle by Kenneth Anger. And being a 20 year old uh, queer man, uh, who was mostly closeted and mostly inexperienced, but still had that inside of him and needed outlets for it and needed expressions of it and needed directions for it. Uh, the works of Kenneth Angor were, are not just you know, very important for me in terms of shaping my taste in film, but like my actual life and my actual taste and my actual identity, uh, I was able to discover who I was by watching movies like uh, Fireworks and Scorpio Rising. And so when I think about like queer cinema, you know, I'm a big fan of Todd Haynes and Gus Van Zandt and a lot of filmmakers of the of new queer cinema era and that sort of thing. But uh, for me, Kenneth Anger is always like the number one most important name.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, like for me, like, I think when I first, um, well, I, I don't know if Joel and I have ever said, but both, both I don't know what Joel exactly, but I assume, but uh, I, I'm straight kind of boring so uh but um for me like uh like queer cinema in general is something that I just never really watched a lot until recently and it's just one of the things that was this it was on my radar but it was one of the things like yeah yeah I'll get to it but when I started watching more of it was like oh this shit's awesome just this is a lot of cool stuff but uh, but Kenneth Anger was just one of things like I know he's important I don't know why he's important But, like, I just know, like, John Waters is a fan of him, and John Waters is one of my favorite artists, uh, period. And, uh, so for me, it was just, like, watching, when when I watched Scorpio Rising and, um, uh, Fireworks, I was like, Oh, John Waters references this stuff in his early movies.
0: Mm -hmm. It's cool. Uh, it is!
2: It's really cool!
0: <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I, it like uh, yeah. I don't, You want me to come in with my stuff? I, I'd already seen Fireworks because I knew it was an important work. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know about what it comes to queer cinema. Like, I don't really think about it unless somebody points it out to me, which sounds... Makes me feel kind of naive, but I, you know, I just watch a movie because somebody tells me to watch a movie, not not necessarily thinking like ah, I want to know all about this kind of thing, because my brain will not allow me to be like this is something you can focus on. Hmm. All right.
1: Well, uh, Joel, have you seen *Scorpio Rising* already? No, just just
0: uh, fireworks. Just oh, okay. Well.
2: I I, th- I think the thing about Kenneth Anger is because he is experimental, because he gets hit with the tags, you know, experimental avant-garde, that sort of thing. A lot yeah. of that can feel like vegetables. A lot of that can be like, <laughs> oh, do I really got to watch a Hollis Frampton movie? Do I really <laughs> got to watch someone hit a tennis ball three, 30 times in a row? And I don't yes. understand why. <laughs> and the the reason I shout it out, it's cool, is because it's like Kenneth Anger was the first I'm not a avant-garde. I try my best to watch experimental films and stuff like that, and sometimes they really connect with me. A lot of the times they don't, but like Kenneth Anger was my first step into that world, and it was like, oh, this can just be like as viscerally pleasurable as any other kind of movie. It doesn't have to just be like, oh, I'm thinking about it, and I and I and I have ideas, but it's all very distant and cold. Like mm-hmm. Scorpio Rising is just like so much fun.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. this Um, the aesthetic of it is like, oh, this is Desperate Living and Pink Flamingos. In particular, the um, the stripper scene in Pink Flamingos is like, okay, th- this is where this where our scene came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel, do you know what I'm talking about in Pink Flamingos?
0: Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I've never seen Pink Flamingos.
1: Well, we're not going to cover that because I don't think you'd enjoy it one. All uh, right. But the stripper scene where uh, uh, you see a, a, a man do something with his anus that I'd never seen before. And it's. Uh, it's, I've, a, it's
0: probably, a... I've probably seen it before, so would not be shocked to me. Well, if you're not for a
2: it You've never seen it with this soundtrack. Oh. <laughs> that is really the key thing here. It's like, have you seen an anus do this before? I don't know, possibly. I don't know your <laughs> life. But have you seen an anus do it to Papa Um Mau Mau, to Surfing Bird? I don't know. <laughs>
0: no. No, I can't say I've seen many. Uh, any, any sorts of routines to. Uh, yeah, probably... So, that would be cool. No, wait, I'm still not. Yeah, I'm still not ready. Yeah. Maybe when I'm 50. Yeah, well, the drawing waters
1: we are going to cover will probably be Desperate Living, which I don't think is that extreme, but my barometer is kind of wonky, so I don't know.
0: <laughs> it totally depends on what you mean by extreme.
1: Yeah, I know. But, uh anyway yes yeah, so uh, Patrick who, uh, who who was what well, is Kenneth Anger like who uh, what uh, who, who is this who is this guy for people who don't really know much
2: about him you know it's a it's a great question and unfortunately the more you dig the more questions you get um, Kenneth Anger is a avant-garde filmmaker. Um, Kenneth Anger was born in 1927 he grew up in LA uh, Santa Monica and then later Beverly Hills. Um, Kenneth Anger was a Satanist, a devout follower of Aleister Crowley, and in fact, pretty much all of his movies are in some way or another devoted to paying tribute to Aleister Crowley. Um, Kenneth Anger was also a serial fabulist, and so the more interviews you read with him, the more sensational his life seems. And he did have a sensational life, so it's very hard to parse out what is true and what is not. And sometimes you just want to believe it all uh, for the hell of it. <laughs> you, you want to believe that you know he got he uh, he got kicked out of uh, Mick Jagger's uh, apartment because he was being too satanic, and you want to believe that he's the reason Altamont happened, and that. Uh, <laughs> His uh, the his you know his last remaining copy of his film Lucifer Rising was stolen by one of the Manson family because he wanted to show it to Charles Manson, and then shortly after they started killing everybody. Like you want to believe all of it because at least a little bit of it is true. But uh, I think the the uh, important things to know are um, avant-garde filmmaker, non-narrative. Generally, Fireworks has a pretty clear narrative, but other than that, um, you're working with uh, you're looking at films that are. Uh, mostly dialogue actually almost i think not entirely dialogue free but largely dialogue free um, mostly non-narrative mostly driven by combining um combining images and music um very occult uh very pagan um very gay um very influential um not just in queer cinema but also in terms of the uh sort of ironic uh contrast between bubblegum pop music and you know uh scary violent acts uh is the sort of thing that later would be filtered into directly influence martin scorsese and david lynch and through martin scorsese and david lynch you basically get every time you've ever heard an ironic a horrible thing happen to an ironic pop song whether it's you know uh Enya in uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo by David Fincher, or It's Stuck in the Middle with You in Reservoir Dogs. Like, It's all Kenneth Anger. Um, mm. So, massively important figure um, in the world of film, to say the least.
1: Hmm. Uh, j face. I thought that you say something there.
0: Oh, I was just like David Lynch was all over, this, especially uh, Scorpio Rising. Oh yeah,
1: I felt that too. And not, not just because Blue Velvet just Watching was like, okay, this because I know like David Lynch has mentioned Maya Darren, and I don't know if he's mentioned anyone else, but Maya Maya Darren is like the only filmmaker I know for a fact he's ever brought
0: up. But like, this was like,
1: okay, he's definitely seen this,
0: yeah. I mean, something he watched in film school, something he watched with his buddies. I mean, who knows, probably not film school. I, would well, I, and Probably. I think
2: it is worth saying um like scorpio rising in particular because it is just so cool and just so aesthetically driven and so easy to watch compared to a lot of the avant-garde it is actually like one of the most watched experimental films ever made so it's if if you think you know has someone so seen scorpio rising chances are if they went to film school like over the you know, the in the thirty years between nineteen seventy and the year two thousand, they probably saw *Scorpio Rising*. Like it's just one of those foundational movies.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd imagine uh, when David Lynch was in Philly and he and he he uh, he hated Philly. That's what *Eraserhead* is kind of based off of loosely. Uh, I'm sure he he's, he saw it back then. Mm. But uh. Because, because of the weird baby. Well, it's Philly. It's. <laughs> it's, it's it's disgusting there. That's why it's great.
0: Oh well, I didn't see that in that Tom Hanks movie from the '90s. So that, yeah, that's completely unfamiliar.
1: Well, Antonio Madaris doesn't live there. I can tell you that. Mm. All right, so uh,
0: Joel, what is fireworks? It's a short experimental film 15 minutes long wherein our protagonist wakes up he gets ready he had a dream previously something that includes men in uniform and he enters a door into a place where he seems comfortable but he's surrounded by people that may hate him, may love him based on what ends up happening it's almost, it's just a pure like peek into uh, maybe his own ideas of love and other things like that. Like, there's there's a lot going on there, and uh, yeah, calling it gay is like an understatement. It's, yeah, a lot of imagery that you can just immediately point to as gay, not including all the shirtless men and, and stuff like that. I really enjoy his fixation on belts being removed. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think that pretty much sums it up. Right. Yeah, so, but I, was,
1: I, was, I was kind of tired when I started watching fireworks. And so I, I kind of nodded off a few times, but uh, when, I, when I wake back up after like a, a minute or two, I'm like, what the fuck is happening now? And so I had to rewind, and there's a, a point in it where I had to rewind like three or four times. It would be like, did they cut him open?
0: Oh. <laughs> that's funny. I, I no, like they j- oh. just beat the shit out of him. It's fine,
1: <laughs> but it's like they just yeah, it's like it felt even when I was like fully awake, it felt like I was I was still in a dream, <laughs> yeah. even though I was in my kitchen uh, watching on a laptop.
0: Yeah, I mean, like go back to Lynch because that's the guy I can talk about <laughs> with the. Well, I have zero authority. That's that's not the right word, but like. I feel comfortable saying things about, but um, most of his things are described as like dreamlike, nightmare like, stuff like that. It's like why it makes you feel so uneasy sometimes just watching that stuff. And like this one had some very uh, common dream imagery, you know, losing her teeth getting beaten in and stuff like that. I don't think he actually loses his teeth, but there's blood covering. Parts and then he gets really thirsty at one point, so they pour a bunch of milk over him. I think that's what was going on. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I don't you know, know big a- big know. advertisement. He was sponsored by the, the dairy farmers of America. <laughs> In the thought,
2: commentary uh, track, Kenneth Anger claims that the milk is meant to simul- uh, symbolize purity and cleansing. Um, yeah. I think hmm. it's pretty clearly something else. <laughs> Well, yeah. it can be both. When I see a <laughs> I, white liquid in
1: something like this, I assume it's something else.
2: <laughs> it is it is very erotically poured over. And it should be said, Kenneth Anger himself is playing the, uh, the main character. Um, oh, yeah. So he was 20 years old. This is there's a version of Risky Business that's a lot more fun and gay that is about <laughs> the story of how Kenneth Anger made this movie cuz his parents were out of town and either he invited a bunch of his friends over who dressed as sailors or he invited a bunch of actual sailors depends again on which story you believe. Um mm. but this was basically a very sneaky uh, gay fantasy that he made while his parents were out of town that he put himself in the center of where these hot guys beat the shit out of him and then dump milk on his face. <laughs> it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah. That's uh yeah. Whenever your
0: parents are out of town, kids, I encourage you to start making very short films about what you really thinking about. doesn't matter if it's <laughs> queer or if it's, well, try not to make it racist. That would be really bad. Don't do that. Um, yeah. Also, don't make it in
2: Minecraft. Nobody wants to watch a Minecraft movie. Um, but something people, you said oh. about it, about feeling like, and as you're watching it, uh, it's dreamy. I think part of what makes this so work so well is that um, cruising is like dreaming. Um, cruising is sort of, you're in this heightened uh, emotional state and everything is all codes and symbols and you are in recognizable places, but they're sort of recontextualized to mean different things. And when the person holds out the cigarette to be lit, they're not just holding out their cigarette to be lit. Um, And like the feeling of walking away from an anonymous sexual experience after cruising, you are in this like very heady rush uh, sort of a mode and everything seems sort of strange and and exciting. Um, And it's just, and it's, it has that feeling of both actually dreaming, but also when you watch movies, uh, the way that David Lynch uh, sort of conflates uh, film viewing with uh, dreaming, like when you walk out of a movie theater, it is actually very similar to when you walk out of an anonymous sexual experience. And then you, especially if it's like a matinee and you walk out and it's still light out and you're like, oh my God, what's Oh, there's a whole world out here. I'm sorry. I was somewhere else for a bit. Um, I just read this book about about Siming Liang called uh, Sleepy, Cruisy, uh, Melancholy, that it it was this uh, sort of academic book. I couldn't pull any good quotes from it because it was just too dry. But it was just about the work of Taiwanese director Siming Liang and and how all of his movies are about this. And then when I watch Firework, I'm like, oh, my God, like, that's why this all just feels so correct is because the fantasy is the film, is the dream, is the cruising um, everything kind of gets conflated and operates on top of each other.
0: Mm. Mm. I see. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, it's not even that, uh, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> cruise is not necessarily the uh, way you get that. Like I recall situations where I had first, you know, been physical with somebody in in my case, because I'm straight and I can't help it. I'm sorry. I tried. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's, you kind of walk away from a daze anyways. Like, I I felt disconnected enough that I was like, I need to talk to a therapist about this. It's like, no, you just need to, you know, let things settle. (laughs) It's a very powerful thing. Was it the hormones? Was it the Mm -hmm. emotions? Was it both? What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Just like this movie.
1: No. Yeah. uh, I was going to say this, I'm not, uh, Joel, I don't know if you've seen this, Patrick, I I presume you've probably seen it, Blood of a Poet, the Jean Cocteau short film.
2: Yes, no. absolutely.
1: And this feels very much like Blood of a Poet to the point that um, uh, Jean Cocteau did see this movie, uh, Fireworks, and he was a fan, and he and Anger were friends, apparently.
2: Yes, he got Kenneth Anger a job working for the, I'm going to get the Cinémathèque Francais, or it's, it's some important... Um, film institution in France that I unfortunately don't know know well enough to describe in more detail than that. But Kenneth Anger being this sort of voracious encyclopedic uh, mind for classic Hollywood um, was a very useful uh, in that position uh, when it came to like cataloging films and stuff. And he did, and that was through John Cocteau seeing this movie and going, oh yeah, I think this guy's onto something. Um, did they become boyfriends? Who can say? We can only write fan fiction. But uh, <laughs> it, I, I do think Blood of a Poet is a good touchstone here. I think uh, Kenneth Anger himself has explicitly said that he did see Blood of a Poet um, before making this movie. I think it exists in a continuum of experimental, dreamy films. I think Meshes of the Afternoon by the previously mentioned Maya Darren is another film. Um, that uh, the way that time and space are conflated and the way he, uh, in Fireworks, he walks through one door and he ends up in a completely different place and he turns his head and suddenly he's outside and there's traffic going by. And like, I think uh, all of that is part of a legacy of stuff that goes back to Meshes of the Afternoon. It goes back to Blood of a Poet. It goes back to uh, even uh, Unshin andalu has a little bit of that. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. I, I definitely think this is not a movie that came out of nowhere. Um, but it is super impressive that it came out of a 20-year-old <laughs> uh, who had yeah. who had that frame of reference. Oh, yeah.
0: That is impressive. I didn't realize he was only 20. Yeah, He's 90-something, right? Oh, he's, he still, alive? He yeah, he's still
2: alive? He is still alive. <laughs> oh, jeez. I he's... had no idea. Let's
0: bring him down before he causes more trouble.
2: <laughs> I, I'm telling you, worshipping the devil is very good for the blood pressure. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, but, like i don't know like even what to say about like fireworks outside of i found it like dreamy and exhilarating and uh, i would never seen meshes of the afternoon and i've seen like clips of it before but i decided to watch it after uh before we recorded uh earlier earlier today and i was like yeah. oh this is just like the next like patrick you were saying is this is just like the a continuation of this uh tradition of dreamy cinema
2: mm-hmm. curtis harrington was friends with kenneth anger he was another fellow satanist he pops up in inauguration of the pleasure dome which is a later 1950s kenneth anger movie uh C- curtis harrington the year before this uh being basically the same age as kenneth anger and also being gay um made a movie called oh shoot i just had it up um but it's uh, Curtis Harrington Fragment of Seeking is the movie and that is also a very dreamy someone traversing through a space and trying to uh, rationalize their sexuality and being closeted and stuff. Um, it's it, you know, it, it would make a good double feature because they are so similar and they're from two people who were peers and they came out within you know a month less than a year of each other. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it um, doesn't it i don't think fireworks is necessarily groundbreaking in the way that uh, a scorpio rising is um, but the thing i think it is it, it, that is exceptional about it um is just how tightly contained it is um how it's' it's how the density of meaning and it's how short of time it is the uh there's the there's the shot where after you see the dreaming kenneth anger it pans over and there is this left hand that uh is missing a middle finger um and then by the end of the movie that sort of hand sculpture has its hands uh, fingers again um and it's you know it's this very clear uh uh sort of castration image um i i so so a big thing about kenneth anger for me is i like fireworks and scorpio rising because you can be totally secular you don't have to be into paganism and uh the occult and really pick up on their meaning his other films like invocation of my demon brother or lucifer rising or inauguration of the pleasure dome if you're not tied into that kind of thing if you don't know who osiris and isis are you're probably not going to get much meaning out of them um mm. But there is still, even in movies like this, there is still, like, the occult is very important. And I don't know anything about it, but uh, my friend is a witch, <laughs> so <laughs> I asked my friend about it. And she was telling me uh, about the castration image and about how the left hand is, like, the symbol of, like, the night, the nighttime life. and And the castration of the left hand is the denial of that night side of you. And then the restoration of it at the end when he wakes mm-hmm. up next to the guy who has... Almost like a Renaissance painting, Jesus Halo, in the form of Kenneth Anger literally scratching the film stock uh, (laughs) in front of his face. Like, uh, it's fun, it's suddenly whole again. So it's about him uh, sort of discovering. Conquering his uh, sort of transgressive sexuality, transgressive not just because he's attracted to men, but he specifically is attracted to violent men, and he has sexual fantasies about violence, which is an d- additional layer. This isn't a movie about like why can't I get married and raise a kid. This is a movie like about I want I want guys to beat me up and dump milk on my face. <laughs> yeah. um, and- what are we
0: gonna get a movie that is about
2: wanting to get married? Because you know we're underrepresented uh, us. Uh yeah yeah if only the nuclear family was somehow represented in the history of film uh, it would be a much more diverse place no but like i i think there is just a a certain clarity to everything that happens in this movie um and and a emotional uh sort of there's a visceral uh nature to its emotions it's like just right on the surface there's a lot of uh you know like I'm there's other experimental films I like like uh, like uh Wavelength by Michael Snow is like uh, I saw that recently for the first time and I thought that was really amazing and interesting and, and had my mind going if you showed Wavelength to a group of high schoolers I think they would go like what the fuck is this this is ridiculous uh I don't need to listen to this buzzing uh And as the camera slowly moves, I think if you showed fireworks to a bunch of high schoolers, some might snicker or whatever, but like everyone's going to pick up on exactly what it means. Um, Some of the more uh, minute details about the symbolism and everything might go over some of their heads or whatever, but like, I'm pretty sure that uh, you could show pretty much anyone fireworks and they're like, Oh yeah, this is a sex fantasy. (laughs) Um, And I do, I do appreciate that this, this movie, uh, and I, I think, in general, anger's power comes from his that kind of directness, um, and so I think that is certainly. Uh, I think I watched like fireworks like eight times in preparation for this episode because it is so <laughs> short. I was just I was just like watching it over and over again, and I I've come to really admire um, just what a solid uh, hot uh, object it is.
1: Yeah. Um, this is kind of sli- slightly off topic, but. Uh... Previous recording, we the episode on Fox and his friends and George Kuchar came up, and I said, "Oh, uh, he was Sarah Jacobson's mentor in college," and I double checked today, and George Kuchor uh, was Sarah Jacobson's mentor, and he worked. He 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 taught her when she was making I was a teenage Se- serial killer. So,
0: Uh, it uh, was it in doubt?
1: Yeah, I can't remember exactly. Oh, kind okay, of, you, you don't remember clearly. Oh, okay, oh, yeah, you know your shit. Yeah, because he was a, also a, a queer filmmaker person who did a lot of indie stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: A different aesthetic from what I understand, but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, but, but like, yeah, going back to fireworks, it's just... It's very, like it. Uh, I guess I, I appreciate that it's not subtle. It's just very like, you know, you have like fireworks penis uh thing going on. It's like yeah, yeah, I get it. The milk, yeah, yes, I understand what it is. <laughs> uh, but uh,
0: I still yeah. have no idea what you guys are talking about. <sighs> One day. Straightest movie I've ever seen.
1: <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah, uh i don't just like this, like this everything i i, I only want it's this thing thing like i, I want to watch it again right now just to pay close attention to like i have it this, on
2: loop right now i own i own these <laughs> movies on blu-ray i've literally been watching this on loop as we're talking
1: because <laughs> like today after *Scorpio rising i was like well i have to watch that two more times because that's awesome <laughs> so uh yeah so um uh, Okay, uh, so I don't have much else to say about fireworks, besides it it kind of rules, but Scorpio Rising uh, rules even more. Oh, yes. So, uh, Joel, what is Scorpio Rising?
0: Scorpio Rising is a series of vignettes, I'd almost say, just of individuals, or a couple of individuals all preparing for a night they they all look like they're all getting ready to jump on a motorcycle there are scenes where somebody is actively working on one and mixed in with imageries of Marlon Brando and um uh who else who else oh Jesus Christ of course um, um <laughs> famous some guy,
1: yeah some dude from Germany
0: oh yeah German dude oh, yeah, you, you're talking mostly. about you're talking about eight Adolph okay okay yeah
1: he, yeah. he has a Charlie Chaplin mustache that guy That's
0: true it, So Yeah it, it, While this is all going on that's when we're getting This classical Music if it's classical to us I guess The 60s that would have been That's like 50s music basically That we're mostly listening to right uh, I think so Yeah Anyway, it doesn't really matter. It's just this in, instant in, interesting combination of images while this music is playing. And it, it makes me feel <laughs> like they, uh, a chop to the neck to all these people that have these golden views of the old days that you know, most of them are dead, luckily. Right? No, I don't know. But once again, violence... Uh, some sort of like orgy going on here a man getting something that looked like mustard put onto his body i yeah and just the the regular biker nazi imagery got an ss cap as the first thing and then we're just seeing swastikas on the flags other things like that and it's like twenty eight minutes long, but it goes away. It goes at such a nice click. Everything fits together that it's pretty good, very watchable.
1: Yeah, it's uh, like I wrote down. This is basically a music video, but which is not a um, a bad thing. It just it feels like this is like the perfect music video in certain ways. It's just like unforgettable and exhilarating.
2: Uh, Mm -hmm. Kenneth Anger has been called by many people the basically inventor of MTV. Um, he personally hates that, <laughs> but but you are absolutely right. This is you can't look at me, the music videos of the late '70s uh, through the early '80s without looking at this without you know realizing that this is the most c- seen experimental movie ever made, and that surely so many of those people who are coming out of the wor- world of commercials, who are coming out of the world of you know video art, who are coming out of the world of student films and stuff like that. Who are making those early music videos? Like we're, they were all looking at this.
1: Uh, yeah, and just, uh, and like, like the moment I knew I'd love it was when uh, you get the uh, the title card, and then in like in the studs, you have like Kenneth Anger. It's like, okay, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> like.
0: <laughs> Yes.
1: But that's a, such a cool way to have, like, do do credits on something. i never seen anything, like, that cool before.
2: Yeah, fi- fireworks in its original form, and something you'll come to realize as you read more about Kenneth Anger is that he is a uh, George Lucas type who doesn't leave his movies alone. Hmm. Um, partially because that's how he makes his living is by like keeping them culturally relevant. And as the sort of sixties counterculture came to fray and a lot of his early movies became psychedelia, cause he sort of just got there before everyone else. Cause he was already doing those drugs <laughs> and, and sort of already interested in the occult long before the sixties. Um, like he would re-release it and this time it would have a new soundtrack or it would have some sort of introduction that would like pitch itself to this uh new counterculture and stuff like that um and scorpio rising was never that um but uh fireworks originally did not have any title credits didn't have that uh, little spoken prologue at the beginning where he introduces the concept that what you're watching is a dream um All of his subsequent films, though, he comes up with these really cool title sequences. Um, uh, Inauguration of the Pleasure Dome has this really great tilt up, uh, very awesome hand painted where you just the words uh, fly down the screen one at a time. Um, A lot of uh, physical... Uh, text. I mean, you at the end of fireworks, you do see the end come up on his hand in underneath the water, which is a really cool physical title. And yeah, the studded leather that he—it was a leather jacket—he studded himself with Kenneth Anger right on the ass. I love that it's all these like super butch men, and and prissy Kenneth Anger is like, by the way, I own that ass. I put my name right on the belt. Like, oh, beautiful. <laughs>
0: It's total uh, Fox and Friends, right there, or not Fox and his friends?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fox and his friends, not not the not the conservative bullshit.
0: Oh, are you sure? You know, sometimes it seems pretty gay. No, no, it doesn't. Never
1: <laughs> happens. No, I believe that's a sh- that was where um Ernest uh, B- Ernest Borgnine was like uh. uh no, that, that
0: was on some other morning show, but yeah. Okay. Uh, what's the secret to uh, your <laughs> long life and healthiness?
1: And he's like, I shall not say. No. It's like, come I've seen, on. I've seen it clip a lot. It's really funny. Oh. Do you know
0: I I I
2: masturbate mean?
0: constantly? Isn't that what he says? Yeah, like, I masturbate a lot
1: in a loud
2: whisper. Yep. Anyway, yeah. it's worth noting that Kenneth Anger's ninety. <laughs> 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 um.
1: Well, sorry about that. We, we I never get a chance to talk about how much I love that clip. It's so, it's so cringy.
0: No, Can we he's find n- a connection? Not- it does connect directly to what he was talking about. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, true. Kenneth Fingers 90,
2: yes. Um, and, and honestly, like, a big part of what makes Scorpio Rising so great, certainly what attracted me to it when I was 20, I mean, now I watch it and I'm 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 seeing these really interesting through lines about violence in American culture and fatalism in American culture and this and the seductive nature of fascist imagery and sort of the feeling uh, accomplishes of spiraling out of control or whatever. Um, when I was twenty, I was looking at that blue velvet shot where the camera is panning up those tight blue jeans and he's mm-hmm. buttoning his any any He's buttoning his uh, belt and, and he, he doesn't have any shirt on and he just has these big ass abs and stuff. I was like, this movie is hot. This movie is really <laughs> sexy. There's a reason that this movie uh, got, tri- got brought up for obscenity. Uh, despite the fact that there's really nothing uh, explicitly sexual going on in it and it's just because you watch it and you go oh this is so gay even in 1963 there's no mistaking you just look at it and it's just dripping with like just horniness and uh, a very specific kind of man uh, being brought up as this like sexual object uh, Mm -hmm. in a way that I'm sure made a lot of people uncomfortable but made me very happy the first time Mm -hmm. I saw it (laughs) that's good
0: spreading happiness it's what film should be
2: all about.
1: Yeah, uh, I love. I was like, because like the, I love when you get the imagery of Jesus and they talk about like the song. I forgot what the song is, but there's uh, the lyrics about being a rebel, and then you cut to Jesus, and this that imagery is like, oh, that's fucking cool. And then they go to the Hitler, and then they go back to Jesus. Like, okay, this is really fucking me right now. I don't know what's happening, but uh. You know, it's like, the, the, like 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 the, like it's just like the perfect combination of music imagery like uh, I think there's I think it was all overdubbed music. I don't think there's any well no no there's a motorcycle part but like a lot of it is like it's a perfect mix like sound design and like music choice and imagery it's like this is just like everything just works so perfectly well. And I don't really understand why. And, like, I, I watched her three times today. So I don't really. I don't know if there is a meaning to it besides just, like, it's cool, but, like, it just fucking works.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. I. Yeah. It's. I think a big part of it is it's not a music video for a song, it is a music video for 13 songs. Mm. And part of what makes it so great is. You instantly know something is up because the song choices—it's not just like popular music from the late '50s and early '60s. It's specifically a lot of it is like bubblegum, very sugary, sweet, uh, wind-up doll, and 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 shots li- and uh, songs like that, uh, conflicted with like this super fetishy horny shots of like just the chrome gleaming with light and these guys working and just all this leather and the skeleton in the garage and stuff like that you get the feeling it's like something is bad is going on but you don't know what and it's and because it's a music video for 13 songs it's able to wait until the end until everything starts spiraling out of control and you get to the wild like tom drums of wipeout, and it's just like motorcycles crashing and people kicking bibles onto the floor and pissing In helmets and offering it up as Eucharist, and Hitler and Nazi flags. (laughs) Like by the end of it, you're like, this is this is it's that thing you said where you're like you're you're seduced uh, early on (laughs) by like, oh man, he's a rebel and the Jesus, and then you're like Hitler, you're like, wait, wait a second, and then it goes back, (laughs) and then all of a sudden it's like someone's pulling his pants down and dumping hot mustard on his crotch, and then uh yeah, and then there's uh, a motorcycle crash and a dead body and sirens and. It's just it, it just keeps going and going. And that patience at the beginning, knowing instantly that something is going to come, it's actually the thing that makes it work better and better on repeat viewings. Um, like, the first song is Fool's Rush In, which is a very fast, like, high-tempo song. It's very fast-paced. And the concept of, like, uh, the song is, oh you know, if you, you know, the, the reason people like jump into love into a row, into a romance or whatever is cause they're being, you know, they're not worried about getting their heart broken. They, they just pat chasing that passion. Um, and as you're like watching this movie and it starts with Fool's Rush In, you're like, oh, something bad is going to happen. Like that song <laughs> says it all right there. Um, and knowing where it goes, uh, it becomes better and better. For, I mean, this is, I think, the movie I have seen more than any other movie in my entire life because I watch it about 12 times a year or something. It's so quick and it's so easy and it's been on YouTube like forever. Um, technically, it's it's uh, it's not public domain or anything but it's just kenneth anger owns the copyright and he doesn't know how to take it off of youtube it's he's 90. Uh, so so you could just put it on and i just i watch this constantly and i have to say like yeah the first 80 times i watched it i don't think i thought much of what it meant um but i do think it does have something to say about um sort of a culture of masculinity uh and violence that uh, sort of fetishizes uh, the car, the vehicle, um, fetishizes individuality, fetishizes like the lone um, human uh, achieving you know individuality uh, individual greatness um, the idea of violence, the idea of like people falling into groups, the idea of seductive uh, aesthetics um, there's just if you the more you look at like just the surfaces on the guy's wall, uh, the, the the comic strips he's specifically reading. There's just like a weird tossed off panel that is about racism. There's just like a Dick Tracy panel that's just a pile of skulls. It's just yep. it starts. Um, this is actually where it goes back into the occult into Aleister Crowley and all that. Is there is this sensation of uh, seeing the hidden meanings behind everything. Um, it, you can watch it just as pure music video pleasure, but like. Uh, Eventually, because of the ironic distance between the meanings of these like cute pop songs and stuff you're seeing on screen, you begin to realize you begin to not necessarily realize because it's not necessarily a fact or not a fact, but it's like you begin to get the feeling that it's like, oh, there's actually hidden messages coded into popular culture. There's hidden messages coded into this little Peggy March song. There's, you know, I will follow him. Uh, it's just a, a song about how much she loves her boyfriend. But when you hear I will follow him and see Hitler, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. And like <laughs> um, it, it, it it is this very uh, Aleister Crowley kind of idea of seeing the, connect, the interconnected magics in between everything and the symbolism uh, inherent in the uh, fabric of the world. Um, so,
1: so you're saying it's they live.
2: It, it is. It is. They. It is. They live. It, it's Kenneth Anger putting the sunglasses on you, um, but you mm. don't fight it because it feels so good. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> difference. Um, like I said, I am, uh, I, you, you guys have to apologize for being straight. Mm-hmm. I have to apologize for being an atheist, because if you're queer, you have to be pagan or like into horoscopes of Zodiac, at least, and I'm mm-hmm. not. Um, I'm, a, I'm a dirtbag uh, atheist uh, skeptic guy. So Scorpio rising is not a phrase itself that means anything to me. Luckily, my partner is pagan, so I was able to ask them. I said, hey, what does Scorpio rising mean? Um, and so they told me the rising sign in Constellation of Zodiac Uh, Is It's the sign that appears on the eastern horizon at the time of someone's birth. And a rising sign is about how you are perceived. And Scorpio is a sign of transformation, of emotional intensity, um, diving deep, sexuality, mystery, and secrecy. Uh, Halloween. uh, There's a Halloween party in this movie. Halloween occurs during Scorpio season. Mm. Uh, Scorpios are considered to be uh, dark and gloomy and morbid. And... um, so there is this uh sort of cosmic horror <laughs> on top of just like i think like three uh, uh, three of the greatest moments of music and visuals in film history all exist in this movie i think like the pan up to on my boyfriend's back where it like mm-hmm. does that gleaming close-up of the motorcycle and then the grim reaper behind the guy is just like mm-hmm. the greatest thing i've ever seen i think the finger dipping into the meth and then the camera following that finger all the way up to the guy's nose. And as the camera pans up, you see the noose behind him. It's just like the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, so like, there's all of the pleasures, but then also the, this is still Kenneth Anger, the Satanist, um, making what is a, essentially a religious movie. Um, and it is it is a movie because it is so pleasurable to watch in the first place. Uh, it rewards repeat viewings and it rewards sort of... Uh, trying to read into every single uh, symbol and every single uh, texture and every single um, piece of visual information he gives you. And it's just, it is my favorite movie of all time, probably. And I'm, I'm just out utterly obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah, like
1: just like the, uh, I don't know, fancy film terms, but like cutting between like the motorcycles and then Jesus on a donkey and like stuff like that. I was like, this is just like really cool, uh, like smart, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like choices to make, and like, uh, yeah, uh, like, like that, that really stuck out to me. It's like the motorcycle, and they have Jesus on Donkey, and then later on, towards the end, when you get like the full Nazi reveal, you get, uh, you see a, a, a checkers board, but they're all, all the pieces have Nazi sw- swastikas on them. <laughs> Yeah. which is both like hilarious and upsetting at the same time to me. Yeah.
2: You get the feeling that what you're looking at is an actual artifact from Nazi Germany, the way that like when you watch Spike Lee's Bamboozled, you're, you realize mm-hmm. that what you're looking at is actual artifacts from the Antebellum South and from uh, Jim Crow era uh, sort of toys and things like that. And Spike um, Lee's
1: personal collection.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like You get the <laughs> feeling that uh, Kenneth Anger... Um, owns a lot of this stuff himself. Uh, he this movie was protested by the Nazi Party of America. They thought it was mm. uh, very disrespectful. Play. Mm. <laughs> um, they're All the right. ones. They're the ones who called the cops on it, and the cops are the ones who raided the theater and charged it with obscenity. Uh, the, it wasn't Kenneth Anger himself who went to court. It was the theater owner, but the same uh, defense lawyer who defended fireworks. Um, I have his name here because the, cause the guy rules. Uh, <laughs> um, ch- uh, oh, God, I didn't write it down. Anyway, the same guy who defended fireworks in court at the California Supreme Court defended Scorpio Rising at the in the California Supreme Court, and both were dece- deemed non-obscene and, in <laughs> fact broke ground in a way that so many of these uh civil rights obscenity cases did in this era uh, involving homosexuality uh jack smith's flaming creatures in new york city um came out the same year as scorpio rising and fought a similar battle in new york um and these were films that were um actively breaking open doors um for the gay community to express themselves and have legal cover to do so so that it is also important in that way
1: Uh, yeah, I looked into uh, some of the background stuff. The article you sent me uh ca- it had uh, uh Anger, he worked at Cahier du Cinema. thought
0: well, that's what he was talking about, right? Basically. Yeah, yeah
1: and, was... he, I, and he knew and he was friends with Godard and like Truffaut, which is he... to me insane. <laughs>
2: He wrote uh, Hollywood Babylon, which was a very famous... And again, Kenneth Anger, serial fabulist, a very uh, important and very successful and largely... uh, Made up. (laughs) Made up uh, uh, accounting of the early days of Hollywood. Um, That book exists because he would just tell Godard and Truffaut these like (laughs) insane silent movie era stories about Hollywood. And they were just like... They were the first Kenneth Anger fanboys. They would just sit there and be like, can you tell us another one about the uh, the woman who had to have her stomach pumped after blowing an entire football team? Uh, like, and like, they were like, you got to write a book about this. Uh, that was how uh, Hollywood Babylon uh, came into being. So, yeah, uh, the people that he brushes against, like uh, he introduced uh, the Rolling Stones to Satanism. He was friends with Jimmy Page. Uh, um if you look up any of the uh, important satanist uh, figures in you know in uh, southern california in the mid 20th century they were all friends with Kenneth Anger at a certain point um he was friends with Elliot Smith <laughs> for some, hmm. somehow Elliot Smith before he died uh, <clears throat> was very close friends with Kenneth Anger because they lived near each other in LA um uh, oh. he is just this uh, wild uh, uh, sort of historical figure um, and that was what makes it so he, hard to uh, prove uh, what did and didn't happen, because so much of it actually did.
1: He sounds like a, a Forrest Gump type figure.
2: Little bit, little bit. Um, well, except, except a better haircut.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Joel. Do you have anything to say about Scorpio Rising?
0: No, you brought on an expert and I feel overwhelmed. Oh, <laughs> I'm well. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just
2: kidding. I never got a chance to talk about this movie. I've literally no, seen I it am, like 700 uh, times, so I'm just I apologize for just uh, vomiting out all this info, but I am so happy
0: that you get to talk about this in that, you know, in that case. Um, I don't really have anything else to add. Uh some well, of the um, things that I enjoyed was like the point where they are dumping <laughs> hot mustard on that, that guy. They actually insert this clip where Jesus is sitting with uh, some, somebody and he's Mm -hmm. turning around as if he's looking at something, which (laughs) just makes it seem like he's like, what the hell's going on over there? (laughs) Which just very good. Um, and, uh, yeah, the Nazi checkers like that, that is probably a real a real uh, artifact from that time period. But it also struck me as like, oh yeah, the Nazis only play checkers. They don't know what chess is. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, just a couple of weird things that I thought.
1: Unless uh, on, the, on the third viewing, I was like, oh, this is a, a Nicholas running Ruffin movie. Oh and yes. He, yes. He, he has to love this.
2: He has, he has explicitly spoken. Gaspar. No as well. Uh, a devoted uh, Kenneth anger fan. Um, yeah, Nicholas Winding Refn uh, is definitely a Scorpio Rising guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, that and uh, like you mentioned about like oh. the, like the, uh, what? Drive, of course.
0: I kept thinking of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like now, now something like oh, that's clearly it's a reference to this. Yeah, it's like you know, I was uh, twenty when that movie came out, so like I so I had no fucking clue what I was referencing. I just thought like. Frank Austin's oh, yeah. cool when he punches people in an elevator. Yeah. I mean, it,
0: I, I didn't know what he was talking about or what it was referencing either, but that kind of uh, <laughs> gives me some insight on that character who is mostly, you know, he's silent for the most part. And then it's, you know, he likes Carrie. Uh, Carrie. I'm sorry. I forgot what her
2: name Carrie Mulligan?
1: Doctor Who. She was on the episode. She, the she was of on Angels. An
0: episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, that's the iconic episode. We don't have to uh, Okay. Okay. All right. That was centuries ago. Now. I know. Uh, <laughs> anyways, he doesn't know how to romance a person. He's just kind of doing hanging out the thing. So that Eller's scene kiss is kind of awkward. Even though I don't know if we're supposed to think it's romantic. Then violence. Uh, but but like, oh, yeah, yeah, that is that's pretty
1: Kenneth anger now, that I think about it. And also, definitely, only God forgives is like feels very Kenneth anger too, based off of two th- two things I've seen, which I feel like you and I are <laughs> some of the few people who actually love Only God Forgives.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Patrick, do you do you like Only God Forgives?
2: I saw it the one time in theaters, and it would definitely. I was one of the people who walked out going, "All right, well, I guess Drive was a fluke." Um, which isn't isn't the case because I enjoy Bronson as well Um, but I I think generally speaking that uh, Nicholas Winding Refn actually would benefit from leaving the world of narrative films and uh, sort of going a more Kenneth Anger route because Mm -hmm. movies like Neon Demon and uh, Only God Forgives are are visually spectacular but anytime anything is actually happening to a person in it I don't Mm -hmm. care
1: I get that he's both profoundly stupid and profoundly like visceral to to watch
2: uh, he he is someone if, if and nothing else Ke- uh, nicholas winding reffin is someone who has immaculate taste and kenneth anger is but one point in that uh, sort of constellation of influences um you know obviously with drive the the really big one is the driver by walter hill that's the one that i i was instantly picked up on but uh you know michael mann's thief and all that sort of stuff so like kenneth anger exists in nicholas winding reffin's work as like Part of a fabric of sort of countercultural uh, cinema.
1: Yeah. And um. Uh, okay, so uh, oh yeah, going back to like the Nazi imagery, and uh, talking about like the power of it. Like I, I talked about this last season when we talked about the front one movie, some World War Two movie. We talked about in the French New Wave season, and like oh, uh, and like part of what like what made like it not fascism like work in, germany at the time was this like the this like the way like then the ss officers looked with like the the cuts of the clothes and the colors and all that, everything like they had an image down of like this looks cool and you you, you know, like when you see it you don't forget it and like and, and using that imagery in Scorpio rising is like yeah the imagery is powerful regardless of whether you believe it or not like it's like it's just like powerful like they know what they're doing when they are crafting their image
2: yeah i i think i think it is confrontational in that way because it is so seductive for so much of the movie you think that what you're doing is watching really cool machines in these you know these custom bikes you're you think that what you're doing is enjoying this like impeccably selected uh selection of pop music from mid-century uh you know 20th century America and you think that like you're just sort of into uh all of these like glittering Americana surfaces and everything but it's not like that seductive power like instantly evaporates the second you see the Nazis it kind of confronts what you thought you were into and like what what is your reaction to leather actually about is it about power do you find power seductive and sexy do you want these men to inflict violence or is that in fact a fascist instinct inside of you um (laughs) it's confrontational. I think, I think that in fireworks, it is a, there is a similar dichotomy there between the oppressive masculine image of like the United States Navy, uh, of representing sort of the straight world of representing the world that, you know, restricts homosexuality, that restricts free expression, that, that is the person who, uh, you know, the, the culture that um, uh, sort of cuts off the middle finger on that hand, Uh, is represented in the sailor, but at the same time, the sailor is also the uh, sort of icon of... uh Sexual desire. Um, <laughs> Kenneth Anger said in fi- for fireworks that he was inspired by seeing uh, the zoot suit riots and seeing American sailors beat up Mexican uh, hipsters in their zoot suits. And like that recurring image of crowds of uh, white sailors beating up Mexicans became like a nightmare image that he had. And so it is literally about uh, racist violence. <laughs> when you mm. when you see if you were to take this as as fact, which you should always have a little bit of skepticism, but there's no reason for you know there's no reason to. To not believe anything Kenneth Anger says about his own work and like I, I do think that the power of a group of men in the Navy beating the shit out of you um, or for, which for some might be very erotic it also is in fact uh, inexorably tie- tied to fa- the fascism of the U.S. military and things of that nature um, and I think that Scorpio Rising is that same feeling of like this is sexy. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's good, um, <laughs> and in fact, you should uh, you should challenge that uh, that feeling in yourself. The things you are attracted to, what you find attractive about them.
0: <clears throat> I don't think uh, it's any of uh, Kenneth Anger's business, personally. <laughs> but you know, uh, anything
1: else? I don't have any, anything else besides. I want to see the other everything else he made now? Uh... I, it,
2: it is worth saying, like, Kenneth Anger's stuff, it's pretty much all on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. He considers his body of work, it's a very specially curated body of work. He calls it the Magic Lantern Cycle. Um, if you look up the Magic Lantern Cycle, you will see a complete list of these films. They're almost all on YouTube. You can watch them in an evening. They're, they're not feature length. Um, the longest of them is, I think, like 40-something minutes, and most of them are much shorter. So, uh, it, it does... I'm not going to say they're all as good as fireworks or Scorpio rising, um, but they do sort of work as a whole. And if, you know, if uh, hearing us talk about these movies has sparked your interest, go out and seek them on YouTube and then go ahead and check out the rest of them as well. It's a, it's a body of work uh, worth examining. Um, at even the ones like uh inauguration of the pleasure dome that don't have that american culture touchstone it's a lot more about sort of uh these pagan gods and goddesses and stuff like visually inauguration of the pleasure dome is one of the most spectacular things you will ever see in your life and there is a reason it became like the preferred experimental film for people to drop acid to in the 60s um Mm -hmm. so like yeah definitely check out uh kenneth anger's other films
1: yeah. Uh. And like one touchstone thing that uh, like influenced. I just thought of while we're talking about was this newer director. He is a French director. He did After Blue, Dirty Paradise, and uh, The Wild Boys.
2: Oh yes, yes, yes.
1: I can't. Yes. Um. He has to be a Kenneth Anger fan because like watching watching these two movies and thinking about. Uh, after blue and wild boys like okay this is clearly uh there's a dna of 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 anger in this in his work hmm
2: that is absolutely correct. That is absolutely. I felt the same way when I saw the Wild Boys. I I thought, oh, this is someone who gets it, and not just like every. You know, Kenneth Anger, very popular, important filmmaker. A lot of people like Kenneth Anger. People who can capture that feeling the way that movie Wild Boys does. It's like that's an impressive uh, feat.
1: Yeah, and I just got the Blu Ray and it's one of those like, I think I want to do it. My I think I want to do episode on it. I, but I definitely want to do episode on After Blue because that's like his weird western that's kind of like Jodorowsky-ish but it's all lesbians and it 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 it's hard to describe but like it's if you like the wild boys you would like after blue dirty paradise alright so there's that uh, like, uh okay what else is there okay that's it and um yeah so uh uh, what's it for, for some fireworks is 1947 so, uh, we'll start with that. Uh, Patrick, you can go first with your recommendations for 1947.
2: Sure. I have, I have two recommendations based on what side of Kenneth Anger you want to go deeper on. Um, if you want to go with the side of Kenneth Anger, who is a lover of old Hollywood and sort of the classic uh, genre conventions of Hollywood, uh, the best melodrama I have ever seen is Daisy Kenyon. Um, it stars Joan Crawford and Dana Andrews and Henry Fonda. It's directed by Otto Preminger. Um, it's kind of hard to describe what makes it so great other than it is just, uh, it, it, it is both this heightened, big, uh, sort of emotional story about this love triangle between people who are in love and shouldn't be. And then people who aren't in love, though they should be and sort of the way they're torn up by it. Um, but it is also every, uh, every performance feels naturalistic at the same time. It's it's kind of a wild thing to watch and it's a little bit underseen. So Daisy Kenyon is absolutely incredible. Now, if you want brutal, violent, uh, uh, homoerotic masculinity, just like big sweaty chests and men torturing each other, um, Brute Force <laughs> with Burt Lancaster is one of the great prison movies of all time uh, where a prison warden who's basically a former Nazi... Um, uh, sort of takes control of this prison that Bert Lancaster is in, uh, leading to uh, rising tensions and eventually of course, uh, just the most insane prison break you've ever seen in a movie brute force fucking rules uh, and is very hot uh, so that's my other choice <laughs> yeah,
1: when I hear Bert, Lan- Bert Lancaster is in a movie, my first thought is I've seen the swimmer and I've, so I assume there's a fucked up secret with him yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Joel. Have you seen the swimmer? No, uh, I definitely check it out. Does but does it turn out he can't swim? Is that the secret? No, um, oh. the plot is kind of silly, but like uh, go into it, go into it blind because it's it it definitely is born about the journey of like who is this guy? Hmm. Yeah, it's who is it, this guy? Yeah. Anyway, so for me, 1947. Um, I wrote about this, the first movie, on my uh, blog, Jailhouse Seven Zero. What was it called? Jailhouse Seven Zero One. Japanese cult cinema. I haven't updated that thing in like two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, this movie is called The Ball at Anjo House. It is a Satsuko horror movie. It, uh, it was when the last one she did before <coughs> she started to work with Ozu. 'Cause uh the thing that I feel like people over here don't realize is she was already a huge movie star in Japan before Ozu. But mm. um Yeah. Yeah, so but this movie is a family drama about this rich family and basically their way of life is going is uh gonna get basically wiped out because of what happened to Japan after a war. And so they have one last big fancy ball at their house and it's just like the how the family is dealing with it and uh, you can find the, the movie in certain places on the internet because I don't think it's ever had an official release overseas but there's a certain website uh, where you can find kind of rare hard to find movies and uh, yeah uh, you can look around for it online you will find it
0: and, you know, you can mention that site. No one's going to hold us responsible for what that website has on it. Are you afraid true. if we have more than 40 listeners? <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't want it to go away. It's a good website. I understand. All right. And the other one is Body and Soul. And when I first saw it, I was like, is that. Did uh, Oscar Mitro remake his own movie? And it's not a remake of, uh, of Oscar Michaud movie or anything, it's just some other movie so I'd recommend the 1925 Body and Soul the Paul Robeson movie instead of the 1947 one because I got tricked in thinking like is this like a, a weird remake but no watch the 1925 version it's great cool Yeah, and also uh, uh, when I was doing some basic research and shit on, on Anger I noticed they always like call him like the godfather of independent cinema and The thing that always gets me on that is like Oscar Michaud was doing independent cinema like in the the 20s and 30s but because his stuff is kind of gone, not gone, but it's like a lot largely forgotten and harder to find he gets overlooked but Michaud was kind of there before. I'm not trying to say Anger doesn't deserve credit but Oscar Michaud definitely deserves more credit than he gets for being not just a a black filmmaker in America but he was one of the first like really successful independent filmmakers in America
2: I think when you have a figure like Kenneth Anger who is so important on so many levels what you might do if you are lazy is say something just huge uh, just to get that point across even if it's f- fucking demonstrably false <laughs> and in this case the godfather of independent cinema he is not um, even though he is, a, he is a man of a stature of someone that might be called that, <laughs> it's not actually historically uh, correct.
1: Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think Body and Soul might be on YouTube. Uh, but it's all, its also on that. Um, yeah, that—that—that's a weird—that's a weird, a weird uh, way for me to talk about Oscar retro because we're not going to get too many African or black black films this, this season. So I have to—I got sweeter in somewhere.
0: Oh yeah, understand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but on the Aquino um, African-American cinema thing, I think Buying Souls on that one. But I'm not
0: 100%. Anyway, yeah. So, that, that's all my stuff for 1947. Uh, so, uh, like, uh, you just raised a question in my brain that mm-hmm. we could probably talk about after the episode, but uh, we're not going to touch on any black queer cinema or anything like that. Uh, there's, there's, like, Pariah
1: there is Rafiki the Kunyin movie hmm. and i wanted a water, watermelon woman but i want to talk about that with uh someone who is preferably a uh, black woman or a lesbian because it's a oh movie, th- thanks a lot very Jeez. much it's a movie explicitly about the experience of in life of a black lesbian and uh i, I feel like we would miss a whole lot slash ice that's a movie I don't want. I don't want just two straight dudes talking about.
0: I understand.
2: Wow. This right here. I'll say, Hey, if you have a good library system near you, they probably get the criterions. Criterion released a set of Marlon Riggs work. You should watch Marlon Riggs films for sure. Especially if you watch these Kenneth Anger movies and say, Hey, I want more queer <laughs> experimental films. Marlon Riggs, Marlon oh, Riggs. That's uh, a untied. Of Riggs. Yes. Tongues untied. Ethnic okay, notions, yeah. all of that that's stuff. Really- uh, great great filmmaker
1: okay yeah we gotta do one on on him anyway yes uh yeah joel you you can have uh, your your stuff now
0: sure do me a favor listener don't go back in time and listen to any other episodes of our podcast only listen to this one anyways a brand new recommendation for me is the movie snow trail (laughs) no it's it's something i recommended before it's it's notable because it's uh uh, oh, geez, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Toshiro is first movie. Yes, and uh, it's it's pretty good. It's about three three dudes are uh, you know in a snowy location. They have to worry about their survival, but they also have. I believe they've just committed a crime or something like that. Yes. I think and, they stole money or something. Yeah, so they go high in the Alps, encounter a young woman and her father, and of course things get a little more not nice at that point like uh, Toshiro Mofuni is not the hero of the movie he is a bad guy but I I think it was really good like especially for a first movie it's
1: the movie where you see the picture of Toshiro I think he's drinking tea and he's in a sweater and he's looking like really hot yeah exactly that's where that movie that's where that that image came from Mm -hmm. in case anyone's wondering
0: yep And uh, the other thing I definitely also have never, ever talked about before, don't listen to Please Don't Send Me Outer Space, the science fiction podcast that I used to do, because you'll hear an episode about The Bishop's Wife, and, uh, okay, it's The Bishop's Wife. The Bishop's Wife, also from this year, starring uh, Cary Grant as an angel, and then you got Loretta Young and David Niven as a couple who are having issues because David Niven as this bishop character is trying to figure out ways to bring more glory to God and he's he's obsessed with building this new cathedral and his wife just kind of wants her husband back and so we get a visit from their version of Clarence who isn't a moron and I don't know about Clarence. But it that movie? The movie is so much fun. Like it's got this whole uh, ice skating sequence where it's supposed to be Cary Grant and Loretta Young, but obviously it's not. But it doesn't matter because it's like two professional ice skaters going together with a really goofy dialogue from the two actors going over it, and it's it's romantic and it's also uh, unfortunately not queer. I would say, although you can imagine. Whatever you want. That's the power of your imagination. Well Carrie was allegedly my have mm-hmm. been, from what I understand. Uh, from from what I understand there was no question about it, although he did have children. Yeah. Well, and uh, from what I understand, it's impossible for people to have <laughs> children that are not straight and white. Yeah, oh, just wait. ask
2: Vince Price's daughter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <clears throat> so that's good for me. Okay. And, okay,
1: this, the next, uh, then Scorpio Rising is 1963. Patrick, you can go first with your 1963 picks.
2: Absolutely. So, on the one hand, 1963 is the year Joseph Losey's The Servant came out, which is extremely gay, and more importantly, it is a kind of movie that constantly gets remade where it is uh partially about sort of class struggle but mostly sort of about this battle of wills between these two identities and about these identities merging and switching places and this transference that happens uh between these two men um uh Dirk Bogard uh playing this uh servant for this nouveau riche uh young Uh, idiot, basically. Uh, So he he basically acts as his butler, realizes that his master... Uh, isn't really all put together and then is just taking advantage of him every step of the way. Um, And then things get a lot more interesting and complicated from there. And it's the kind of movie that I feel like every couple years I see something and I go, oh, this is trying to be The Servant. It's just not as good. (laughs) Um, you know, like, uh, The Phantom Thread is one of those movies for me where I'm like, if you like The Phantom Thread, you should probably see The Servant because The Phantom Thread, the most interesting thing that happens in it is the very last scene. And The Servant goes... Yeah, but what if there were 20 more minutes that really explored that and really exploded (laughs) that in all these different directions? Like, The Servant's incredible. Um, And it's very gay, so a good pairing. Um, But really, I am just a uh, famous Monsters of Filmland kind of dork. And so I would really uh, be... you know, I, w- I would really be neglecting my core sensibility if I didn't mention that 1963 is the greatest year of Roger Corman's career. Um, he directed five movies that year. Now, is Young Racers a good movie? No, you can skip Young Racers, but The Terror, The Raven, X The Man With X-Ray Eyes, and The Haunted Palace are all so cool and so good and really represent a sort of peak of early 60s B-movie uh, aesthetic. And if you, if you put on, I would say the order to do it is, if you watch The Raven, X the man with x-ray eyes, and then The Terror, um, that's like a four-hour triple feature. That takes up your night. Um, if you can get drunker and drunker through that, by the time you get to The Terror, you won't know what the hell is happening. And that's perfect, because no one knows what the hell's happening in that movie. But the colors are insane. Um there's, there's psychedelia before psychedelia is a thing. Obviously, Kenneth Anger got there way before. But Roger Corman was also way ahead of the game when it came to uh, sort of uh, psychedelic colors and dream imagery and Freudian uh, symbolism within these genre constructs. Uh, I don't know if he personally was influenced by Kenneth Anger. I would be surprised. That's just sort of not the world that he existed in. Um, but, like, uh, these movies... Um, like, the Raven is very campy uh, and very silly and very fun um, and has Vincent Price. And X the Man with X-Ray Eyes uh, starts off as being kind of like this goofy sci-fi thing with Ray Milland, And then it quickly becomes, like, a Lovecraftian cosmic horror. And the Terror just feels like a fever dream that was like it feels almost like a William S. Burroughs version of a Edgar Allan Poe movie where it's these like different cut up plots all sort of pasted together in weird orders um directed by like six different directors incredible the terror really doesn't get its due um all from 1963 Roger Corman clearly just like one of the all-time greats uh maybe one might even say the godfather of independent cinema <laughs> no no uh, <laughs> that's a it's a title it's a title that has a lot of holders oscar michaud got there first but at some point there was no one who was more on top of independent cinema than <laughs> roger corman and 1963 is sort of like the perfect year to examine that
1: all right uh th- that's all for you
2: yeah yeah
1: okay mine are quick one is an episode uh, a movie we did last season Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the uh, Vittorio De Sica anthology film. Mm. Uh, Two thirds of the of the stories are really good. In the middle one, uh, I think is bad and kind of and and really slogs the movie down. And it goes like, okay, okay, this is taking too fucking long. Get get to the get to the striptease one. That's the fun one. Mm. But it's uh uh, it's Marcello and Sophia Loren and they play uh, basically kind of variations on couples and it's like yesterday, which I think is like the early 1900s, today which was the 1960s, and then tomorrow which is I guess somewhere in the vague future but not too far into the future but uh, and each one is a different type of love story and the middle one just kind of sucks and you can skip that part, honestly, mm. but uh, the oh, but the first and the third I think are strong enough to warrant uh, watching a movie. And okay, uh, remove that. And I have the, the Wagoner, the Simben short film. If you've seen a, a Simben movie like, say, Black Girl or Mandabi, or uh, uh, Mulade then you, you know what's going to happen. It's going to end in tragedy. But, uh, it's ben so it's... I don't want to say it's important, but it is kind of, like, really important, but he, he, his moves are very watchable and, and important at the same time. And, uh, Insect Woman, the Imamura film, it is, uh... It's Imamura kind of taking the Ozu thing and being, like, uh... But, like, doing the dark version, fucked up version of Ozu and I said Memento so there's incest in it just a warning if you do plan to watch it and uh it's deeply upsetting and kind of uh hateful towards humanity the way MMR movies are but I uh, I love it.
0: Mm. Yeah. So I'm only going to do one because 1963 is full of like some of the best movies I've ever seen in my life which means that we've talked about them many times Uh, the one I'm going to think I don't think I've ever talked about because it's not well I like it a lot but it's (laughs) it's not like you need to see this movie get out there and watch it but not not that far long ago probably within the last 10 years or maybe the last 5 years I don't know time is time is meaningless but we lost Albert Finney And the funny thing is, right before he had passed away, I watched Tom Jones on the Criterion channel. And Tom Jones, it kind of fits in with some uh, anger moods because it's it's lustful and it's about a deviant, basically, out there. Tom Jones himself, the ladies cannot stay away from Albert Finney's cock. That's right. I said the C word. And, you know it, and the story is of course there's one woman he wants to be with can they be with each other it's kind of things like that but it it doesn't really matter it's like he's he's getting ladies left and right wherever he can everybody i don't know what you think about albert finney but i think about the old man in uh the born identity right <laughs> or is that I, in the second movie whatever i, I think about the movie you did with audrey hepburn Sounds pretty boring to me. Anyways, it's really in the born identity, identity what happens? He plays guess,
1: a really shitty husband in that one, and he forgot they had, even had a child at one point. They
0: died in 2019, so that was like three years ago, four years ago. Ah. Anyways, it, it's a it's a fun movie, and you know it's it got that whole 1960s era British style that Austin Powers makes fun of so well. Except it's a period piece with completely inappropriate clothing sometimes for the same period but it doesn't matter it's fun
1: yeah, a friend of the I
0: guess friend of a show?
1: I don't know someone who knows about the <laughs> show who was supposed to be on once but he he kind of got too busy doing his film trick thing uh, did like a, a, a Kurt, not Kurt, what's his name? Clint Worthington, <laughs> there we go Kurt, Kurt Worthington Kurt Connors, My No, very Clint. good friend <laughs> No, uh, Clint uh uh some site he he did a thing for he and a bunch of other people ranked all the Oscar best picture winners. And I think that Clint uh had um the Tom Jones pretty low. Mm-hmm. One of
0: them had it pretty low. But I so, sounds like an asshole to me. No. <laughs> no, no. Like I said, I wouldn't assume it was for everyone. Yeah. Anyway,
1: so uh that is it. So first, before uh, I have Patrick say his like um podcast stuff. uh The next, the you picked. Okay, you have uh, three more episodes as of now. So seven chances: the Buster Keaton movie, mm-hmm. Raw Deal, which mm-hmm. I think was the Anthony Mann movie. That's right. And Footlight Parade. So which one do you want to cover next?
2: Oh gosh. Um you know what let's let's do a hard swing let's do a footlight parade
1: all right perfect that'll be the next one next time you appear and that, that's legally binding since you chose it on uh, on, on recording
2: i can't take yep. it back it's a matter of record yep
1: yeah so uh, uh patrick so you do podcast stuff and film stuff in general
2: Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So here's the spiel. Uh, First and foremost, I have a podcast called Tracks of the Damned. I do commentary tracks for horror films. They are a mix of historical fact and critical opinion. Uh, I try not to be too dry. I try to pick interesting movies. Um, that I have done very infrequently in the last five years, but uh, more or less, uh, it's something that I still have a vested interest in. Uh, more recently, I started a podcast called Uptown Song Club, which is a music podcast. It's a book club style. People bring in songs to talk about. We talk about them in detail, and it's a fully edited podcast, which is to say that when someone mentions, oh, yeah, I like the part where the bass goes doot, doot, do, I go in there and painstakingly put in the part of the song that goes doot, doot, Um, and it creates basically a kind of sound collage where you hear the song as we talk about the song. Um, I'm very proud of that one. We've done nine episodes so far, 10th episode's coming out in March, um, and then that's going to go on hiatus for a bit. With my partner, I I am the co-host of the podcast, 96 Greer's, Uh, We are going to eventually talk about every single movie that Judy Greer has appeared in, one of our favorite character actors. Um, We've covered everything from Pottersville, which is the uh, Michael Shannon Bigfoot Netflix Christmas movie, um, to The Descendants, which won Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, even though it's terrible, um, to Mumblecore. Uh, We're going to eventually cover Ant-Man movies, everything. Uh, Judy Greer has a wild, diverse filmography, and thus so our podcast does. Halloween Kills is going to come. Uh, <laughs> ha- Halloween is this year, and I think Halloween Kills will be uh, 2024. Um, so if any of us are still alive, then we will get to talk about just the brilliance that is uh, Evil Dies tonight. Um, <laughs> I-, I know it's hard to wait. But uh, that's what I'm doing right now. I also am doing two episodes of Director's Club this year. Uh, in May, I'm going to be doing an episode on uh, Taiwanese director Siming Ming Liang. Uh, absolutely incredible filmmaker. Uh, filmmaker probably best known for Goodbye Dragon Inn, which is on Sight and Sounds, you know, 250 greatest films of all time. That's his most famous, but all of his work is really incredible and a real auteur with a body of work that all sort of is in communication with each other. And then in December, for some godforsaken reason, I agreed to do an episode on Yasujiro Ozu, even though there are people Mm -hmm. who have dedicated their entire lives to trying (laughs) to understand Ozu and still can't touch the hem of his garment because he is just the most complete, uh, impossibly uh vital uh filmmaker who ever lived and so that's what i'm going to try to do in december we'll see how also, that goes
1: also i uh Maya have been gay oh really um yeah he got kicked out of a boarding school yeah when he was in high school i think because mm-hmm. he wrote love letters to other boys mm-hmm. and he uh, he never married and lived with his mom his whole life so
2: I mean, he he, he liked to get drunk and get fussy about how his stuff was arranged, (laughs) so that sounds pretty gay to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like, apparently it was a a joke when people would, when his mom would answer a door, she would say, oh, uh, uh, Yasujiro's wife is out. Like, it it was just a thing, like, oh, he's never gonna get married. Everyone (laughs) kind of knew, it seemed.
2: That's interesting. I, okay. Well, that, that adds a new wrinkle and it just makes it more on brand. Of course, I would have, I would be on the <laughs> Yasujirozu episode. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, for me, uh, I write for Grumpire on occasion. Uh, I am in school this semester. Uh, I'm taking summer off so I can actually have time to write for Grumpire again. So uh, I, I'll have something for Grumpire later in the year. I don't know why exactly. Uh, but uh, I'll get back to doing the the, the action movie column thing. Uh, so I'll get back to the writing about the most recent Indian action movies that are hitting uh, Netflix and Amazon, and I'll have something on uh, Project Wolf Hunting, which is a really awesome Korean action movie. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll say action movie. It it then the second half turns into a, a different kind of movie, but still really awesome, mm. and. uh I'm on Movies from Hell a whole bunch, so me and Joel appear on Movies from Hell at some point this year, I think, and uh, yeah, I'm on, I've been on Grindbend, the Grindbend podcast, like, I think, at least once a year for the past five years, so if you go back in their, into their uh, library, you'll hear me on multiple episodes, and Joel did one episode,
0: like, four years ago,
1: three years ago?
0: Yeah. Well, when yeah. you when you talk about the perfect movie, and uh, there's really no reason to revisit uh, anything else, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's it for me. And I have two blogs I have kind of stopped updating since I started uh, going to college again.
0: So wait a minute, I've I've been on there twice, by the way. Grind been twice. Yeah, because I saw oh, the worst movie I've ever seen there also, so I talked about one of my oh. personal favorites of all time, and I've also talked about the worst movie I've ever seen. I remember that episode. The, the
1: Marsha Brady movie. Yes. Yeah, the one where... Uh, should we just see yes. it? Yes.
0: Let's, let's just not... It's okay, What I'll, is it called? Uh, it's called... It's, I can't remember. The, the name and the poster are so misleading. Oh, it's I called Texas, Texas Lightning, I think? Yeah.
1: It's. I tried watching it. it. It fucking sucks. It's terrible. It's so bad.
0: Anyway, yeah, Joel, what what do you have for uh, stuff? Oh yeah, I don't have anything. Eventually, I'm going to be on Monster Monsters from Hell. Is that what it's called? Movies from Hell. Movies from Hell. Because uh, the only way they would invite me on there is if they were on our podcast first. I I think is what was the situation there. No, I just no. never. I'm very shy. I don't ask for. Yeah. Spots. Uh, so that's it. Not doing anything else okay. worth mentioning in my entire life. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. So yeah, we're we're on Twitter. Uh, the this uh, I I changed the the uh, the name and all that stuff at per season. This season is just a sister sewer rat because that's the true Lampreave character from Dark Habits, the Amuletor film, which is my favorite one. Not saying it's the best one, but it's my favorite one and uh Patrick are you on Twitter or anything like that
2: oh yeah at Uptown Song Club on Twitter at Uptown Song Club on Instagram there's some Mastodon I have but I don't understand how to give out Mastodon addresses so you can skip it
0: yep
1: okay and uh J-Dog you're on social media sometimes right
2: I
0: mean if you want to talk to me on JDT Games that's I'm on Twitter there uh yeah that's about it okay
1: and uh all right, so Patrick, you'll return for Footlight Parade, a Busby Berkeley musical. I think that's what it is. Yep. Oh wait, that's a that's an Alexandria episode. Okay, you'll be on with Alexandria Daniels because she's the it's the unofficial role. If it talk on a musical, she must be present. Love it. Yeah, and and uh, next recording is going to be uh, oh the musical that you love, Joel. Gentlemen prefer blondes. Yep, I li- with, uh, I really
0: like that. Uh, speaking of fitting into the uh, <laughs> the theme of the huh? uh, season this time, uh, you know, it's a very good song. Happening while men are flexing in the background. Yeah, um, yeah, you you like men with real big muscles, right? I love big muscles and <laughs> something about core I don't know what a core is. I
1: don't know. Anyway, so we're talking about that with friend of Cheryl Alexandria and friend in real life, uh, Beau North, who I've met in person twice so far. And uh, yeah, so it'll be fun. It'll, it'll be. I felt like it was gonna be Beau and Alexandria being thirsty over that over that scene, which is fine. Anyway, yeah, let's uh, yeah, shut down. Our theme music is by James Fell. Our logo is by Andrew Bargeron. You can find him as Jemetsko on Threadless, T Public, Redbubble, Shirt Woot Catalog and T-Theory. That is spelled G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O. You can find our show in previous seasons on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and other places where you can find podcasts.